Paywan presents Throughline Thursdays with Neha Malhotra. Hi everyone, welcome to Throughline Thursdays. So glad you could tune in. Rosa Parks, a civil rights activist, refused to surrender her seat to a white passenger on a segregated bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Her defiance sparked the Montgomery bus boycott, and its success launched nationwide efforts to end racial segregation of public facilities. She had vision, passion, and a plan to see an egalitarian society. Having passion is not always enough. You have to have a game plan to pursue and bring your dreams to fruition. And that is our topic today. Our esteemed guest is Madhavi Basin. She is the head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging in Okta. And her DNI journey is fascinating. Madhavi, thank you for coming on. Welcome to Throughline. Thank you so much, Nay. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me and look forward to this conversation. I am a big fan. I follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, I am so excited to glean a lot of information today from our conversation. But I want to start with how are you doing? How has this time been for you? Thanks for asking. I would, I would definitely say I can't complain much. I do realize that have a lot of privilege given a lot of challenges the people around are facing so I do recognize that and want to make sure that uh, I understand the benefits that I have the fact that I can work from home the fact that I don't have to think about job security at this point uh, but I do also realize it's it's a stressful time it's uncertain times uh, so there has been a lot of like I would say emotional mental balance challenges just yeah a lot around being a working mom of like what are you prioritizing what are you doing so overall definitely realizing that i can't complain much uh but also recognizing the fact that some days are harder than others yeah yeah i agree with you the emotionality of this time has been unparalleled um tell us about your career journey and your diversity equity and inclusion journey definitely so I started my career in um, academics. My idea was back then, which didn't pan out, uh, was to go into tenure track and teach at the university level. So I did my PhD in India, in international relations. And then I moved to the US. I worked at UC Berkeley as a research scholar for two years, uh, writing policy papers. And then I realized like that was not the kind of the change I wanted to limit myself to. Personally, I wanted something more hands-on. So I transitioned to the nonprofit sector and there I worked on programs focused on youth and women empowerment, uh, both with federal agencies and also with a lot of companies. And that got me into creating and offering um, programs around youth and women empowerment with companies through their CSR giving programs, which then made me realize that um, there are a lot of changes that have to happen within a company the success of this program in terms of like changing mindsets, bringing leaders on. And that was my transition into the corporate side to make sure that I, I can bring those changes in terms from within the company or help bring those changes. And that's when I joined Okta and been at Okta for about one and a half years. So it's been a little bit of pivoting, uh, but I guess that also goes to say that um, it's fine to pivot and look at different careers throughout your career journey. And some will be more hard, some will be easier, but 
to go for it and try something new. Yeah, and, and you have a game plan, but I want to talk about um, what happens if you only have passion and really no game plan to advance DNI causes? So specifically for DNI, and I think that this definitely translates into a lot of other areas as well. Like it, it, it's not just restricted to DNI, but making sure uh, having passion is, is a very important, critical starting point. Because if you don't have passion, you will not be able to even get started. So that's a very important thing to like show your commitment is out of your passion. But if you just rely on your passion, the challenge there is a little bit around, um, you might miss on making your efforts strategic because with passion comes the idea of you being emotional about it. Mm -hmm. It's prioritizing difficult because you'll have to do some things now and you have to decide that you want to do some things later. But if you are all caught up in passion and don't have, as you said, like a game plan or a strategy, then it makes it difficult to prioritize uh, to figure out what are your low-hanging fruits can you work on later and also create metrics of success and ROI because if something is not working, you have to pivot. And if you're looking at it only from the lens of passion, that can sometimes get very challenging. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to ask you, in your opinion, why are diverse and inclusive workplaces so elusive, both difficult to find and hard to create? Um, I read a statistic, big tech, little diversity. Uh, Black comprises 3% of Silicon Valley talent, according to Industry Week 2018. So a lot of it is um, the way tech came into being. So a lot of startups here in Silicon Valley were created to uh, move very fast just because of the nature of startups. And the idea was to get together initial teams that were more comfortable working with each other which is what we call in the DNI field more around identity bias. So it's easier to people, and that's common with everybody. Like I, I feel more comfortable when I'm with people who look like me, who I identify with. So a lot of uh, tech here in the Silicon Valley came about through that, uh, that space of identity bias. And the fact that the idea was um, that limited a lot of diversity coming in initially. The idea was like now the now the startups are flourishing. Um, they they have gone through the IPO phase. Now let's bring in diversity and make it more diverse. But that got very challenging because these spaces that were created by a select few were not inviting of the majority in terms of like the rest of the community. So even if uh, that has been a struggle to even convince people from a diverse background, like this is a space for you, you belong here because they have not been co-creators in this space and they still feel like outsiders. So that has been something that's been, I, I think a continuous challenge and you need to get more creative to be able to address that. Yeah, and then when you do um, attract that um, diverse uh, you know, pipeline or folks coming in, they question, am I supposed to be here? Did yeah. you have to lower the bar for me? Do I belong here? And we'll get to that later. Um, I want to ask you um, about uh, allyship. So, you know, this is such a, a broad concept. Can you demystify allyship for us? I am trying to find my place in the moral universe. I know my privilege. I'm an able-bodied, straight, cisgender woman. I want to be a true, authentic ally. Where do I start? And what are some of the actionable I uh, ideas that we can pick up? 
So I would definitely, first of all, thanks for thinking about that. Like being an ally and being interested in learning about it is the first great step in that journey. So, so thank you for thinking about that piece. I would say the first thing is to recognize that being an app, like an ally is not a noun. It's not like you, it's a badge that or a tag that you can put on yourself. It's a verb. It relates to doing something. So as you pointed out, it, it needs to be actionable. Another example that I give here is like, you can have an attitude of something and a practice of something. So having an attitude of something is like, I have an attitude of yoga. I have a yoga mat. I, I know yoga is important. I have yoga pants. I love it. I sign up for every virtual yoga event or in-person event when we have those. Do I do it? No. So I, the, the same goes for allyship. I know allyship is great. These are the things I should be doing. This is important. But what am I actually doing in that space? That is what I think makes allyship more real. And a few things that I would definitely say that people can do is um, one, uh, listen and learn. Mm -hmm. That's very important. And the second is don't put the burden of your learning on the minority community. Because sometimes it's like, you know, uh, I don't have any black friend. I have a black colleague. Let me go and ask them, how are you feeling about Black Lives Matter? I'm like, stop. Like that, You shouldn't be doing that. They are processing a lot right now. So if you are an ally, be more inquisitive and learn. But don't put the burden of your learning on a member of the minority community. They are not there to educate you. They are going through their own challenges. So if you are a true ally, be open to learning and be open to open to trying and uh, taking on the challenge yourself rather than depending on someone else. Yeah. And, you know, you're so right about this being a journey. You know, it's um, it's a verb and, you know, listening, learning, iterating and taking action. And I feel it's just like it is so enlightening. And the beautiful thing about it is that it, being an ally is that you're in a constant state of learning and being open-minded. Could your um, actions that are meant to be supportive as an ally perceived as patronizing? They can be, but a lot depends on the space from which you're coming from. So if you really care about a cause and you want to learn about it and you want to support the members of that community, and if you're coming from that space, that will be very clear in your actions. Uh, if you're trying to be a performative ally and score some points and then trying to make the right noises at the right time, then that will show through your actions. So the intention is, the intention with which you come in is very important. And, and it, it's, not, it's not that difficult to, to figure out your intentions based on you know, how you're acting. And the other piece for me is, if you truly are an ally, as I said, you would be very open to learning because this is a learning journey. You are bound to make mistakes. You, you cannot figure out everything that anybody from a diverse background would, would want you to know. So if you are really an ally and open to learning, when you get feedback, when someone pauses you, like, this is what you said, like, this doesn't translate, like, this is how you should approach it. So be inquisitive, learn about it, ask questions, but take the learning in. But if you're trying to be a performative ally and you're trying to do it just for patronizing purposes, you will be very defensive. You'll be like, oh, I, this is what I meant. This is what I was trying to do. So that really shows the space from which you come. And that space and intention makes a huge difference in being an ally. Yeah, absolutely. The intent and 
you know, not trying to be a knight in shining uh, armor, translate your heartfelt intentions and look at your motivations. Is it, you know, just to sort of look good that one time and to help one person, but, you know, just kind of looking at shifting and driving uh, change to shift ratios as a whole, um, I, I believe is so important. Now, how can you do things to make and influence changes at the systemic level and not just to look good that one time and help that one person? There are a few things that you can do. So in a company, if you are at a leadership role, you definitely have a lot of privilege and a lot of positional power to make change. So try and leverage that, like lean into your power to be able to make change. A lot of systemic change is the result of the systemic power that you have. So definitely look into what what are the pieces that align with what you are doing and bring change. And it's not that only leaders have the power to bring change. We have seen across communities, a lot of change has come grounds up when people demand change. So I would definitely say like in terms of bringing about systemic change, be more vocal, point out what are the areas of improvement, both for your company, for your team, because sometimes you have to say this a lot of times and sometimes you have to say it very loud for people to bring, people who can bring change to actually like, you know, start doing something. So I would definitely say if you have the positional power, use that. Otherwise, use your voice to advocate for change and why is it important in your community and in your space. Yeah, no, I agree. In my journey, I feel like amplifying voices is very important, you know, making sure those voices are heard and respected and also like being the scholar, not in the literal sense, but just reading and, you know, going to social media sites and hearing podcasts. And that's really, really helped me in my journey. Um, you uh, talked about leaders, you know, how that's very important that leaders need to be an ally. What can leaders do more to promote and prioritize equity in hiring? Can you give us um, a game plan? Absolutely. I think, as I said, the leaders have a lot of positional power that they can bring to the table to bring about this change. Um, a couple of things that come to mind exactly in this context is, one, look at you don't have to drop your current role and become like a DNI head or an advocate to bring change. Stay in the job that you do and bring a DNI lens to it. Just a quick example, um, Ryan Carlson, who's the CMO at Okta, he is the head of marketing for us. Now he's not going to drop marketing and suddenly become DNI, like a DNI head because he's an ally. What can he do as an ally in his current role? So his commitment was all Okta events that we host, um, have a diversity of speakers, both around gender and ethnicity. So our largest customer conference octane that happens every year, we pride ourselves in ensuring that, that we bring diversity on stage. Even at like, if you're having a sales kickoff or a technology kickoff, making sure like the panels that we have, the demos that we have are all run by like, are reflective of the diverse community that we belong to. The second example that I love giving is, and some people say like, you know, marketing is easier. Um, if you look enough in your current role, you will always find a way to impact DNI. If you are leading finance or the head of procurement, what can you do to look around to see how can you bring in a diverse um, funnel of um, vendors and suppliers that you're working with? So you're still doing your day job, but bringing a DNI lens to it. Mm -hmm. So for leaders, um, I would definitely say utilize the power that you have 
and bring about the change in that current role. And that is something that we in the DNI space need because I can bring in a lot of guidance. I see my role more as a facilitator, but the actual change has to be brought about by these leaders. So if we start thinking more about it, we will be able to move much faster in this journey. Yeah, I agree with you. And leaders have a lot of clout and they know that they have privilege and they can use that privilege empathetically to, um, or, you know, leverage those advantages and stand up to foster confidence and use cloud to open doors. And it's a ripple effect, you know, I'm sure, a ripple effect of inclusion. Sure. And they have the, the budget and the budget. Of and the money, <laughs> of course. You have to get them on your side for sure. Yes. Yes. Now, I want to ask you this question. And I've been in recruiting for 20 years as a recruiting manager. I you know, want to really kind of hone into your thoughts on this. So we have a diversity candidate pipeline issue here in the Bay Area. Now, according to you, is it really a leaky pipeline issue or just excuses? Because on the other side of the fence, underrepresented groups feel that they're not noticed. They get passed over. They're invisible. Uh, for jobs that they're qualified for. So can you crystallize this for us specifically for the tech industry, because this is where it's the most pervasive. Just aside some um, research, roughly one third of software engineers employed in healthcare, government, education, nonprofits are women as compared to one fifth in tech itself. That's interesting stat. Um, I will definitely say here in the Silicon Valley in tech, we have gotten used to very comfortable ways of recruiting and hiring talent. For us, it's let's post a job on LinkedIn, let's get on Glassdoor, let's reach out to all our colleagues at X companies, and then we can like you know hire. And that has worked in a certain way. Like a recruiting team has been able to hit whatever their rec target is. Uh, we have not found any dearth of talent here in the community in, in the Bay Area. So there is not much incentive for people to look elsewhere. And since you're not looking elsewhere, you're like, there is nobody around. But the fact is that you're not looking hard enough and you're not looking wide enough because there are tons of partnerships that you can get into, which is not specific to the Bay Area. Just to cite two quick examples, because you brought out engineering and tech, uh, a National Society of uh, Black Engineers, the Society of Women Engineers. There are many, many more, but these are community organizations that bring talent from underrepresented minorities together. They have created a community there. Your company can have a partnership with them, work with them to source that talent. But that would require you to challenge your usual way of recruiting, something that has worked for you. And it's, it changes always difficult. It will take time, it will take effort, it will take money. Your recruiters will have to unlearn a few things, like how do you yeah. connect with diverse audiences? Yeah. How do you have those conversations? Yeah. So it's not an easy road. It's not just about like, you know, it's a pipeline problem. One, it's not a pipeline problem because if you go to all these events, you can see there is tons of talent there. You are not putting your job posts there. There is candidates that exist there. But even if I get you the pipeline, are you equipped to bring them on? Is your recruiting team and your hiring managers ready to take on a more diverse, balanced team? So it's definitely a multifaceted problem. But I would strongly say that to me, this is one of my pet peeves. If 
it is not a pipeline problem. You are not looking hard enough. You're not looking wide enough. And don't even tell me that it takes longer to hire diverse talent. Just because you don't have those pipelines built, it will take you a little longer. But saying that I need to fill the rec soon so I'm not looking for diverse talent, that, that to me is definitely an excuse. Yeah. And also job descriptions, right? Like they have everything in them. They require all of these things, but it's it comes down to or can be distilled to maybe three or four things that are required to do the job. Um, and like we have this hardwired mindset to look for bachelors in computer science or engineering. But could that or could a person with uh, just life experiences or a non-traditional education do this? Is it that open source contributor person really required for this job? So those are, you know, certain things to also think about. And also like, you know, how the process is, is it uh, the same for every candidate? Is it standard? Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely great point. And I want to ask you about the anecdotal lowering the bar. Is that really a thing that, you know, managers say, oh, I don't want to lower my bar, you know, for this role? I don't think rolling the bar, lowering the bar is, is the right term. But if that is how hiring managers are looking at it, if you're thinking like you have been hiring for X number of years and you haven't come across diverse candidates for that particular role, and if you're looking for diverse candidates then you're trying to lower the bar, I would challenge you by saying this is the right time for you to look inwards and look at your hiring process and practices. What are the interview questions that you're asking? Is it meant for a diverse audience or is it meant for a smaller subset from which you are looking to hire? Is, um, are your take-home assignments, are your coding challenges created by the same group of people who you tend to hire? So the fact that you have not been able to find enough and you think that you're lowering the bar could also be reflective of the fact that there is some adjustments that need to be made internally into your own processes and systems. So I would definitely encourage and challenge you to look inwards before making a blanket statement of like, if we do this, then we are going to lower the bar. And I have definitely, believe me, I've seen a lot of managers say that to me. And there has been enough data to show that tweaks that you make into the questions that you ask, the order in which you ask them, and your take-home assignments and see a much diverse candidate who come down your funnel than it previously would have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also read somewhere that, you know, women will apply for promotions if they fulfill 100% of the, the responsibilities, requirements versus 60% of men, they would still, or men with 60% with of the, um, the requirements would still apply. So yeah, it's definitely that issue. And, and I remember that in our prep, you talked about confirmation bias, right? I mean, prejudices are all, it's there, they're everywhere. But yeah, look at your overall system, how you're sort of judging everybody. That's yeah. a big piece. And it's, it's difficult to unlearn confirmation bias. You have to continuously keep challenging yourself. So it's a learning process and journey for all of us. Absolutely. How do you bring more neutral folks to contribute more, you know, folks that have their hearts in the right place, 
but they're ambivalent, you know, they're like, or, you know, I care about my paycheck. Are they complicit? Um, is there bystanders? Bystanders, sorry. I, so there is a little bit of, um, uh, my philosophy on that is, you can take two sides to it, but my philosophy on that is, if you have folks who are neutral, um, one, bring them in around a lot of um, DNI conversations and why this is important, why do you need their support? So try to show them the value that they bring to the table and that their participation is important to bring change. And then equip them with some tangible things that they can do. So for example, if they are on the product team, um, how does the product look? Do, you, do they think that the product speaks to a diverse audience? Would they want to do a focus group to understand what would be the impact of um, a diverse set of clients looking at their product? Uh, so one thing is to keep them engaged, show them the value, but also give them actionable items. Because as you said, like they want their paycheck. They have their day jobs. They can't like sit back and think how I can contribute. Most people would not. Some people would be like, okay, this is my day job, but I know how I can contribute. But for most people, the easier that you make it for them, they will participate. Just to give you an example, at Okta, like with the Black Lives Matter protest, we had a lot of concern around like, are we using inclusive language? And then we had a, a whole discussion around like, should we do a master slave, blacklist, whitelist, like all those terminologies. And we pulled in a lot of people from our engineering team who are now like literally working on it. So it's a it's a project where they can contribute, where they can bring change. And from the DNI perspective, like we need people to bring these chains. Like I would not be able to figure out all the ins and outs of the engineering team to make this. So show them the value that they can bring and give them concrete projects. And then you can definitely win over allies for a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking up too, right? Like intercepting a joke or, you know, standing up and Very say, hey, that's not nice. <laughs> or how are you yeah. doing? You know, that, that um, like microaggressions are so common in team conversations. And if you are a witness to that, then making sure like you are approaching it from an educational perspective, because you don't want to get into trouble and you're not like not sure, but you'll be like, this is what you said. It went across pretty well, I guess, to a colleague of mine who's like XYZ. So like even having those conversations are, are going to is going to be a big momentum to bring about change and create spaces to have more of those um, as you move forward in your journey. Yeah, and you talked about like career pages, and I see like a lot of the masculine coded words like aggressive, competitive. I think that just, you know, it's not the right language to attract a, a diverse pool of, you know, women probably, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, not inclusive, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, thank you so much, um, you know, for going over these these points. This is gold. Now, um, in your career, and this is through lines, I have to ask you, what's the through line in your career what has remained the same for you while everything else seems to have changed? That's interesting. I would definitely say the one piece that has remained the same is my commitment to bring change. So the fact that I've not, I've always had issues with like, why is the status quo this way? Like what can be changed? How can we make it better? And moving from academics to nonprofit, now to corporate side, I think that has something that that is something that has remained a constant in my uh, journey is 
how can we change the systems around us so that they are more people focused, they are more inclusive, and they are more like inviting of a larger community. So that definitely would be something, a, con a constant so far. We'll see. I've made a couple of pivots, so I, I'm hoping if I get to make the next pivot, this stays same as well. Yeah, no, you're a role model. You're so inspiring. And, um, you know, we, we share the same intersectionality, uh, brown woman <laughs> in tech. And, um, you know, last year we at Bay One, um, we launched this cohort, uh, this idea called Make Tech Purple um, to leverage and to uplift and bring more women um, into tech and especially data science, specifically data science jobs. Um, and, you know, super proud to have that cohort and nurturing that group. Um, so, yeah, that was something that, you know, I have to say, you know, I was inspired by you, inspired by a lot of the women leaders that are doing work in uh, DNI space. Thank you. But I would definitely say that uh, you and your company, you, you should be very proud of launching initiatives like this. Because, as I said, like, this is not a problem that some one institution or person can solve. So the fact that you launch something like this, and which is something so meaningful, even saying, like, make tech purple, it's like, it it, ca it carries so much value to it. And we need more, more of these. So you should definitely be very proud of, like, putting something out there in the space to, to encourage and support so many people who need it. Yeah, thank you so much. And just sort of, you know, working on that, um, uh, with the Make Tech Purple, working um, on, you know, bringing more women uh, into data science, working on building a cohort. We moved our numbers from 29% to 40% this um, year wow. for women in uh, tech. So, um, yeah. Um, thank you, Madhavi. We'll take questions. Um, if um, audience has any questions, please write them on the chat bar here. Um, I want to ask you a question about uh, sources and books that, you know, we could kind of tap into if we're more interested uh, in being an ally and, you know, more um, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, topics. Yeah, the, uh, I think if I start, go down that road, there is a ton of uh, tons of books that I could recommend. I would say, like, narrow your field a little bit first because you can be an ally in terms of, like, across gender or across race. So as I said, like, look at what your privilege is. Like for someone like you, I would definitely like not recommend a book that's around like gender diversity or inclusion because you already know of those challenges. So I would definitely say first figure out which is the subset that you want to work on in terms of the group you want to support. But uh, I would definitely, my favorite that I recommended to a lot of people at Okta, um, during the time of the Black Lives Matter was a Netflix uh, documentary called The 13th. The 13th, yes. I would definitely recommend people who want to learn about race and um, choose around that to definitely look at that. And my other favorite, which I is an author who I would recommend is Brene Brown. She's written a ton of books around leadership, daring, um, daring greatly and how to be a great leader. She brings in a lot of emphasis on um, on how you can bring build belonging and inclusion, not only in the workplace, but also in your family. So she's definitely my favorite author. You said Bernie Brown? Renee Brown, B-R-E-N-E, Bernie Brown. 
I'll definitely uh, look her up. Uh, we have some comments. Suva says, thank you, Madhavi, uh, for a wonderful and educative session today. Um, Gaurav has a question. What, or, what do you do to deal with the frustration of driving change? That's an interesting question. There is a lot of research going around right now which says um, diversity fatigue is real. Like people mm -hmm. are of yeah. doing work and change is not happening. It's not coming. And it's very real in the DNI space. We we always say, like, you know, we are trying so much and the needle is going so slow. Should we be doing that? And my comeback to that is you start with the position that change is difficult. If you think you're going to bring in change, and it, it has never been easy. If you look at all historical incidents, change one takes time, but it also takes commitment and passion. You have to stick to it and not give up. And the example that I give is like when we are bringing up kids, we are like, you know, when they start walking and they start bicycling, you, you would be like, okay, you fell down, that's fine. Like, get up, try one more time. You can do it. You just don't give up. Like you fell down three times, you can't. Fell down three times, you can't. Bicycle. Let's go home. You come at it every day and try one trick or the other. This time, if you drive this much, you will get a candy. So I try to look at it from that perspective. That change, learning and unlearning, takes time, effort, and energy, and it takes rewarding. You have to reward the small wins that people are making. So if you try a few of those. Uh, you can stay at it longer. It's definitely not going to get easy. It's, it's difficult. I want people to realize that it's not going to be like, I have the right recipe, I'm going to put this in and I'll have like something ready now. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said, you know, it's the journey and don't um, be afraid to make mistakes. And I think that's super important too, um, to, to like consider it that you know, it's okay if you stumble once, you can get back into it again. Um, that's an excellent uh, point. Um, Rachel says, incredibly thoughtful conversation. Thank you. Um, oh, thank you so much. This is great. And every time, honestly, trust me, every time I have these conversations, it's so much that I learn as well. There is so much like chatter, so many thoughts. These conversations are not only great for um, the audience, it's great for me in trying and understanding what we want to do, where we want to go forward and connect with a wider audience. So thank you for this amazing opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on, Madhavi. Uh, thanks for tuning in, um, everyone. I hope you, um, you know, love this conversation. I uh, feel like I'm illuminating from within uh, after this conversation. It was very powerful. Um, since I'm into fitness, I'm going to draw a parallel you know, being an ally um, and, you know, having a game plan is, is super important. You have to approach passion with the game plan. Um, I would say it's like building a muscle. You need a plan. You need time. You need repetitions and also the ability to feel pain and embrace discomfort in this journey in order to see the gains. So thank you again for tuning in next week on Tech Talk Tuesdays. Um, we have Gaurav coming in to talk about um, fatigue um, and uh, other issues, work uh, life balance issues. So please uh, make sure to tune in um, next Tuesday. Thank you. Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening. To view our webinars and snippets, visit our YouTube channel, Pay One, The Future Works Here. 
You can also visit our website www.bay1.com or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you once again.